0: Good afternoon. Welcome. Thanks for being with us. It's midday. I'm Tom Hall. The Maryland Stadium Authority voted unanimously this morning to approve a lease with the Baltimore Orioles. Governor Wes Moore has called a press conference today at 2.30 to talk about the agreement. That press conference will be followed by a special meeting of the Board of Public Works in which the board is expected to approve the deal. Pamela Wood and Andy Koska of our news partner, The Baltimore Banner, report that the full agreement has not yet been made public, but the state posted a four-page summary Friday afternoon. So the highlights of the deal, according to the summary, include that the Orioles will extend the terms of their current lease for 30 years with options for extensions past that. They will continue to pay rent to the state, using a formula based on ticket sales or other revenues. The banner reports that there are options to change the terms of the lease, and under one scenario, it would be possible for the lease to end after 15 years. Plans to develop the area around the stadium will be formulated over the next three years. The Orioles will have until the end of 2027. To reach an agreement on a ground lease and redevelopment plan around the stadium prior versions called for the orioles to have a 99 year ground lease for the redevelopment area paying about 94 million dollars total over the term there's no longer a set timetable or rent payment schedule for the ground lease which is something evidently that will be negotiated between now and 2027. wypr's matt bush will have more on this story later today during All Things Considered. And today here on Midday, I want to introduce you to two new leaders in Baltimore who both have long track records as social justice advocates and change makers. Later in the show, we'll meet the new artistic director of Baltimore Center Stage, Stevie Walker-Webb, but we begin with Karen York. In September, she returned to her hometown of Baltimore to become the president and CEO of Baltimore Corps. Baltimore Corps was founded 10 years ago by Wes Moore and Fagan Harris, who now serves as Governor Moore's chief of staff. The organization describes itself as a social justice and innovation hub. Its focus is on jobs and career building. Karen York joins us today on Zoom from Greensboro, North Carolina. Karen, welcome to the show and congratulations on your new appointment.
1: Thank you, Tom. I feel like it's been forever and ages since we last
0: spoke. It has, indeed. You've been in New York City, of all places. Uh, Tell us what you were doing up there. You're working with the Women's Prison Association.
1: Yeah, so I was recruited from JOTF to lead the nation's oldest organization to support incarcerated and formerly incarcerated women, mothers, and their children. Uh, The Women's Prison Association, founded in 1847, based in New York City, um, is an organization that supports women who are behind the walls, um, both, you know, at Rikers, um upstate for long-term prison terms. um, and those who have come home and are looking for stable housing and employment opportunities and other resources and supports to, you know, support their families and continue on their life's trajectory. So, it was, a, um, it was a continuation of a lot of the work that I was doing in Baltimore at the Job Opportunities Task Force, um, but on a very different level and scale, and of course, a different city.
0: And of course, the uh, the work that you did do with the Job Opportunities Task Force, uh, I, I would think directly uh, pertains to the work that you're going to be doing with Baltimore Corps. Tell us about JOTF. Tell us about the work you did with that task force first, and then we'll uh, talk about Baltimore Corps.
1: Sure. So JOTF is a statewide nonprofit organization, and the mission was to help low wage workers advance to high wage jobs. During my tenure at JOTF, I really honed in on those individuals who were relegated to low-wage, no-wage employment opportunities as a result of their interaction with the criminal justice system. Um, And so this included a focus on how do we rethink our programming to better prepare formerly incarcerated individuals for the workforce. It included a lot of public policy advocacy, um, both at the local level, but particularly in Annapolis, um, around eliminating the those educational and employment policy barriers. So, you know, we spent a lot of time, if you remember, Tom, talking about the bail reform effort and the and mm-hmm. decriminalizing poverty and race um, in Baltimore City and in Maryland um, and how the criminal record, you know, served as the cause and consequence of poverty for so many Local residents um, in the city and across the state. So my work at JOTF absolutely prepared me um, and provided a a bit of a runway for me to take off in New York City.
0: Yeah, and you were doing a whole lot of lobbying at that time. I mean, you were very much involved in the legislative process. Um, will you be involved uh, in the legislative process with Baltimore Corps as well?
1: I believe so. There's definitely an opportunity. Um, you know, particularly with. Uh, Some of the initiatives that uh, the governor is advancing in Annapolis um, around thinking creatively about how to develop talent pipelines, how to ensure that, you know, black and brown professionals and leaders have access to uh, positions of influence. Um, that they may not have had otherwise had it not been for Baltimore Corps kind of providing those opportunities. Um, So whether it's, you know, partnering with Maryland Service Corps um, that the governor just launched, or looking at some of the ways that we can make it a bit easier for businesses to be able to hire and support their talent and, and looking at the different strategic partnerships that we can be thinking about with academia and nonprofits and government and business. Um, I mean, I've only, you know, been at Baltimore Core for about three months. Um, but you know, I'm a policy wonk. So I'm always mm-hmm. <laughs> gonna be of mind that Something policy-wise that we can do
0: here. Karen York is the president and CEO of Baltimore Corps. It's midday. I'm Tom Hall. Our number, if you have a question or comment for Karen York, 410-662-8780. You can email us midday at wypr.org. So um, if I understand this correctly, your work with uh, Job Opportunities Task Force concentrated on the lower uh, wage workers uh, who are you know, just starting in the workforce and looking to advance, um, but your clientele in Baltimore Core is a bit different, uh, as I understand it. it these are, are, are established professionals uh, who you're hoping to to uh, you, you know give give the resources they need to propel them into uh, you know high, higher profile uh, positions around the city.
1: Absolutely, and and you know. Um, This excites me for two reasons. Um, On one hand, when I was in New York, I found that a number of women who I found my organization interacting with and identifying opportunities for support, these were not women who had a lack of educational experience or, you know, a very spotty work history. These were individuals who were highly educated, you know, before they had entered incarceration, they were operating at, you know, senior or executive levels in their positions. And yet when they were returning to their communities to figure out how to get back on their feet, the criminal record was preventing them from moving forward. And so it's like, forget about their work experience and any education before, or even that they were able to gain while behind the fence. It was their record. Many times it was their gender, their race, all of these dynamics that prevented them from accessing economic security in a meaningful way and so that showed me that in addition to yes being able to provide those on-ramps for individuals who might need more than others they may not have graduated from high school they don't have much work history you still find individuals who have all of those things who are still struggling to access even basic employment opportunities you know not to mention those that actually align with um, what their experiences And then on the other hand, it really just underscored what we have been studying um, for years and there's no dearth of, um, you know, scholarly, uh, you know, information or stats or data to show that many times that race can be a barrier still to this day to individuals being able to access employment opportunities that are in the senior and executive space, unless they know someone um, or unless there is some special program that allows them Um, that particular access. And so here we are, where you have nonprofits and governments and businesses in the city of Baltimore, where the decisions that they're making are impacting community decisions and impacting the quality of life in our communities. And many times these are communities of color. And you find that in the boardrooms and in the high levels, you know, of, of the staffs and the team that you don't have individuals of color, you don't have BIPOC leaders, And so that is pretty much the mission of Baltimore Corps. How do you enlist talent and build bridges between organizations, individuals, opportunities and resources with a focus unapologetically on black and brown leaders and ensuring that they have the exact amount of opportunities and access that their white colleagues and counterparts may have in accessing entry-level opportunities that end up being senior level positions and so here was another opportunity for one me to return to my hometown one you know two to return to a space of economic justice where we're talking about leveling the playing field for our communities particularly those who tend to be most marginalized and being able to apply many of the same principles to those individuals who are still struggling, even with a high educational background and tons um, of impressive work experience in history.
0: And uh, it's a difficult challenge, isn't it? Because so many of the barriers are are subtle. They're they're somewhat even amorphous. They're, they can be difficult to to specifically identify. I mean, um, the microaggressions that people of color uh, have to tolerate and, and put up with and have great experience with, they can really uh, affect in a real uh, significant way that that network that it takes, that, that uh, you know, group of connections that it might take uh, to move up the ladder and to uh, be in a position uh, of, of bigger and bigger authority. How, how do you how do you approach it? It's, it's not the kind of thing where um, it's not 1964 again, you know, when, when, when there was just, you know, blatant racism uh, that was yeah. written into the law, you know, um, it's not written into the law anymore, but it's still there.
1: Yeah, you know, it's you're right. It's subtle, but it's not so subtle. It's very nuanced, right? And, mm-hmm. and you know, the numbers don't lie, right? We're still seeing that white men tend to be paid more than all other races and gender, right? White women are paid more than Black women and, you know, Latina women. Um, you know, just on the pay scale and wages alone, you can still see the disparities. And yes, we have individuals who believe that Oh, because we've had a black president and because we've had, you know, a sprinkling of, you know, black and brown faces in our boardrooms and our suites um, and in our high positions that we've made it. And yet you still have networking spaces where there are no individuals of color you still have spaces economic development spaces you know groups and networks that are literally determining what will be the economic future of the city of baltimore what will be done in communities where housing um, is an issue where you know the the unemployment rate is double that of our white communities. And there is no one of color in these spaces. These are spaces where many times community members of color have no clue that they exist. And so we talk about the power of networking. And this is something that we really hone in at Baltimore Core: the power of networking and introducing young professionals who are able-bodied and eager and hungry and have some of the best ideas to address some of the city's pressing challenges putting them in these spaces to be able to learn grow and develop and then eventually be a decision maker that is an easy way to be able to address some of the inequities that we're finding in our employment pipelines and even more so that we're finding in some of our wage scales where you're finding that it's a lot easier for white men and women to be able to hit that six-figure mark a lot early on in their profession where for black and brown professionals unfortunately they have to try a bit harder they have to prove a bit more in ways that their white counterparts don't
0: karen york is the president and ceo of baltimore core let's go to the phones ray is on the line in baltimore welcome to the show with karen york
2: good afternoon and thanks for having me um so I'm I'm actually a police officer in Baltimore. My views don't represent the department. But one of the things that I wanted to share is that the job opportunity task force is a beautiful thing, and I thank you for your work for it. Um, but there were barriers when I was referring returning citizens to the job opportunity task force um, that take up time and resources. Um, like something as simple as a lot of jobs don't allow you to get hired if you don't have a driver's license. A lot of yeah. jobs um, won't take a look at you if you don't have um, certain things expunged that are easily expungible, but people don't know what these things are. And one of the things that you know, I, I constantly run into in the city of Baltimore is you know, we'll, we'll refer to some of these services, but they don't have the capacity to service as many returning citizens and citizens in general is what we need. So my question to you, ma'am, is what do you think you bring to the table as, as far as trying to expand some of these desperately needed resources?
1: Ray, that is such a great question. And thank you for um, the shout out and the work that you did with JOTF. You know, one of the things that we focused on were those very barriers that you mentioned that made it so difficult for folks to access employment opportunities in the city. And these are things that we take for granted. If you are just entering the workforce, right? This is a city, and look, Tom, this could be a whole other Zoom call, but, you know, this is a city where transportation is still a challenge. It is difficult to get to work. The majority of jobs are actually not in the city. And so having a driver's license is of utmost importance. But if you say, oh, child supporting, your driver's license is suspended. If you, you know, have a a ton of fines and fees that are, you know, related to um, some type of debt that's impacting your ability to secure a driver's license. And so for our workforce development program at JOTF, what we did was actually pay for driver's education and then work very closely with MVA and Department of Transportation to ease some of those barriers to driver's licensing for workers who had a job and were going to lose the job if they were not able to secure that driver's license due to some fine or fee or you know some policy that was preventing them um, from moving forward. We would hear constantly, Ray, you are so right about businesses who wanted to be able to partner with JOTF, but that's many times the challenge with small nonprofits where we can only serve who we can serve. And Baltimore city has such a huge, huge segment of its population that's effectively unemployable as a result of its uh, interaction with the criminal justice system. And so JOTF could only serve a certain number of individuals, and we're very eager to partner with a number of other nonprofits who were like-minded. But it really takes a whole new ecosystem to think thoughtfully about how we are going to better support this population, because at the end of the day, employers need workers, they need folks who are developed, who who can get to work, who know how to get to work on time and be able to meet all of the employment requirements and, and educational requirements. And employees need the ability to be able to succeed, need to ensure that there aren't policy or legal barriers that's preventing them from working, from being able to pay down those things that may very well lead them right back into the criminal justice system.
0: Thanks for that call, Ray And Karen, um, what you're talking about with the folks that you're working with at Baltimore Corps is placing people in executive positions of leadership so that those leadership strata uh, is peopled with people who understand the need for uh, transportation, for example, who understand the barriers that people uh, on, the, the, on that rung of the, of the economic ladder are are facing and, and it's this this uh, understanding and embrace of the equitable practices that need to be in place uh, in our major nonprofits and our major companies and corporations. It's, and, and we need people who are frankly just you know just hipper to it than other you know the, the current people who are there.
1: Absolutely. You know, whether it's through our fellowship program, where we are, you know, identifying young professionals of color who will spend a year or two with government, nonprofits and business and then, you know, eventually go on to being in a full time position. You know, these are individuals where, you know, for instance, our partnership with the city of Baltimore that, you know, we are so proud to have where we're able to place individuals, professionals and support their development with the city of Baltimore. These are individuals that are placed in places like, yes, the Baltimore Police Department And elsewhere that's helping our agencies think thoughtfully about governance. How do we ensure that we're best supporting citizens and being a resource to citizens who are relying on government for support? What are some of the ways that we can engage communities professionally, socially, that will address some of the pressing challenges that without having them in the in the room, we're just coming up with the same answers that are producing pretty much the same solutions that are just not working. And so being able to focus on how to be able to connect folks, uh, particularly professionals of color um, at all levels, but especially those high levels of impact and influence. That's how you're gonna start to see a really shift in the material conditions of our communities. That's how you're gonna start to see a shift in some of the policies, both big P, which is legislative and administrative, but also those policies that are occurring at the agency level in the boardrooms, just changing our discussion and how we are thinking about things with intentionality. It starts with who's in the room, who's on your workforce, who's on your payroll and how you are connecting them to the decision making processes. And that is what Baltimore Core is proud of.
0: And you're doing this kind of sector by sector. Uh, one of the, the areas you're concentrating on is the nonprofit sector. Talk about some of the other places where you're uh, you're seeing an opportunity to concentrate and to make some some strides.
1: Absolutely. So I mentioned government um as a key partner and really rethinking their workforce and how they can partner with baltimore core in a very strategic manner to ensure that yes they're hiring locally but they're also you know providing opportunities for their workforce to reflect um, a level of professional um, acumen from the community Um, businesses local businesses that are recognizing that hey our workforce is aging, and we need strong local individuals who can come in and help us think creatively and intentionally about how to address, you know, some of the challenges that we're navigating, or what are some great ideas we can implement here in the city to better the lives of of our residents. Um, it is actually amazing how there's been a shift. Um, in the space of workforce um, and how we're moving away from the traditional um, practices and strategies of workforce development and really thinking differently um, about talent development, whether it's our Civic Innovators Initiative that um, has been in place for the past five years, where we're taking pro bono volunteers from, say, your T. Rowe prices and other um, businesses uh, in the city, partnering with city agencies and employees on collaborative teams based on their area of expert expertise for about four hours a week for a th- over a three-month project. Um, Baltimore Core is facilitating that partnership to ensure that we're bringing some of the strongest minds um, and hearts into spaces to think creatively about how to address some of the city's most pressing challenges. Community Health Pathways. This was a a paid service learning program to prepare the next generation of public health leaders. It was born out of a response to COVID nineteen, where you saw AmeriCorps around the country um, partnering with the Center for Disease Control to develop new public health leaders. Whether these are your contract tracers in the life, and the like. And so, how is that evolving as we, you know, are moving? past the initial stages of the pandemic years ago and now moving into a space where public health changes, um, regularly, um, partnering with, you know, other businesses and the like where, you know, who instead of using a temp agency or, you know, spending time trying to figure out how they can connect with community or how they can diversify their workforce, but maybe they just don't have the time or quite honestly, the expertise to figure it out. Our place for purpose serves that role where you can literally partner and pay Baltimore Core to help you think about what is it that you need in your workforce, what is important, and let us help you identify those individuals and provide that support to them so they can be strong, long-time employees for you. So it's been 10 years of trying to, um, not trying to, but successfully connecting um, local community members of color um, with some high impact positions where our fellows, many of our fellows have now been able to secure full-time positions with you know, local businesses and, and government. Um, we're eager to see what more we can accomplish in the city. We're eager to see how we can partner um, outside of the city um, with other jurisdictions. Um, and Tom, we're going national. We are taking this model national, um, and so we have a Baltimore core here, um, but we also have a Birmingham core. Mm-hmm. Um, we're in talks, you know, with about four other cities around what does it look like to um, adopt the Baltimore core model in their respective city to think creatively about how to hire from community, how to develop talent pipelines from community, um, and be able to place them in high influence positions. Um, at the executive levels and at senior levels um, in government, nonprofit, and business.
0: Yeah, and scaling this up to other cities, it's interesting. That kind of anticipates something else I was interested in, in that uh, Wes Moore and Fagan Harris, uh, who obviously are the governor and the chief of staff now, but uh, when they started this 10 years ago, any organization evolves, any organization changes, adapts, uh, makes, uh, you know, uh, amendations to what they're doing. Uh, over the course of the years do you see foresee any um you know new directions for for Baltimore Corps that that perhaps weren't even imagined by by Westmore and Fagan Harris uh, 10 years ago
1: I do um you know a big bulk of the last 10 years of work of course was in response to covid and so there were a number of shifts you know that were made internally to support the response um to covid and the new workforce that resulted from that Um, But even before then, right, you know, there still had to be a buying in of this idea. Um, And now, 10 years later, there's no need for too much of a push and pull when it comes to a buy in. Right. It's you know, it's not like there's no work to do to really educate uh, the business community on the importance and the impact of this work. But what we're finding is that things that we hadn't even thought of. Industries that we weren't even thinking about or that could be a potential partner in other cities, they're coming to us advising, hey, here's a growing industry where locally you have philanthropy and government and business who are all in in terms of how we develop this industry and being an economic engine in our respective city. And we wanna think thoughtfully and creatively about how to diversify our workforce. We've tried a number of things and it just wasn't working. Yet we've seen what you've done in Baltimore City. And the fact that Baltimore City usually has all of these you know, bad things to say about it, all of the bad, the negatives in terms of uh, demographics and metrics, Here's something that is working and working well um, in terms of your partnerships and in terms of your outcomes. And so how do we apply that model here um, in industries where it's like, huh, we didn't think about that here. What is it? What is it like actually to, you know, yes, we've done this in an urban area, but what does it look like to do this in role spaces? Right. Like, what does it look like to, you know, step outside of the public health sector or. You know, looking um, at different strategic government partnerships um, that may not be uh, visible or available here in Baltimore or in Maryland. So it's really our uh, launch outside of Baltimore City and outside of Maryland that has really kind of opened our eyes to, you know, different opportunities that will be available, not just to us, but to, you know, the thousands in our network who are just looking for opportunities to be able to give back.
0: And get paid for it. Yeah. And, you know, it, so often it's just simply a matter of taking good ideas and putting them in the right places, you know, making sure the yep. right people hear them and are given the opportunity to act on them uh, so that the needle can get moved. So, Karen, I'm, I'm delighted you're back in town and let's stay in, in touch. It's always good to talk to you. And uh, I wish you the best of luck uh, in this new adventure.
1: Thank you, Tom. always appreciate you providing a platform like leaders, for leaders like myself to be able to come on and talk about the work and educate your listeners. Really, really appreciate you, Tom.
0: And me too. It's always great to talk to you. Karen York is the new president and CEO of Baltimore Core, And up next, the new artistic director of Baltimore Center Stage joins me, Stevie Walker-Webb. will be with me on the other side of a quick break. It's midday. I'm Tom Hall. Stay with us. This is Baltimore's NPR News Station,
1: member-supported
0: 88.1 WYPR.